Let's pray as we go to the Word of God. Father, I pray this morning that as we gather in this house, that your Spirit would move among us, that your power would rest upon us, and that you'd give clarity to the flow of the Word of God this morning. Father, I pray that your Word would come forth with power and that it would be received not as the Word of man, not as the opinions of a preacher, but as it actually is, the Word of the living God. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to talk to you about fellowship a little bit this morning. Now, we've been on this theme, the fellowship of the burning heart, and actually the theme for the year is stewardship. This is the year of stewardship. But what I want to propose to you today is that fellowship is the prerequisite of stewardship. If there's to be any real stewardship among us, first we've got to build real fellowship among us. And real fellowship is something that is missing from the body of Christ at large in contemporary Christianity, and especially in the United States of America with its rampant individualism, isolationism, and consumerism. We have been, become consumers, and what we've done is turn the church into a spiritual grocery store. Now, when you go to Safeway, you go in with a shopping list, and you know exactly what you want to get, and you get it, and you put it in your cart, and you go to the checkout counter, and you pay for it, and then you go home. You don't mingle with the other shoppers there in the store. You try not to make eye contact with them. You're not trying to start strike up conversations. You're there to get a little fruit, a little vegetables, and some meat, and some milk, and some eggs, and get up out. And you're trying to be there as short amount of time as possible. And, and a lot of times what happens is we treat the church like a spiritual grocery store. I'm going to come in and get a little worship, a little word, and go to the checkout counter and give a little offering, and I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to make sure to make a beeline for the door as soon as it's over so I don't have to talk to anybody. Because what I'm really doing is going there to get some religious goods and services because I'm a religious consumer. And that is the problem with contemporary Christianity. It, what we do is we really breed what I call Teflon Christians. Teflon Christians, nothing sticks to them. Nothing sticks to them and they don't stick to anything or anybody when what God is looking for is something far deeper. Now when we look at a description of the way the early church operated, we see it in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, first of all. And secondly, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, first, we have to understand this word devotion. Devo- devotion is more than commitment. We can commit to a lot of things, but when you commit to something, it means that that thing that you are committing yourself to is in alignment with your agenda. You can commit yourself to a politician insofar as that politician's agenda is in line with your agenda. But when that politician shifts his agenda, you tend to shift your commitment, Right? You support a politician, you say, this person for president. Why? Because of his agenda. But when his agenda shifts, you say, this person not for president. I don't like this person anymore. Their agenda shifted. It's no longer in line with my agenda. And so I am going to shift my commitment. Commitment happens at the level of the mind, but the heart is not necessarily engaged. But devotion is something different. When you are devoted to something or someone, you are devoted heart, mind, and soul, and it is transcendent of any particular agenda. Regardless of your agenda, I'm devoted to you. Now, the Bible commands us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. To be devoted to one another in brotherly love means that regardless of your agenda, I'm devoted to you, and I'm devoted to you without 
without respect to my agenda. Because when I have an agenda, I have something that I'm trying to get from you. And when I can't get it from you, I'm going to disconnect myself from you. But when I'm devoted to you, it means I have no agenda. It simply means I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. I'm in covenant with you. And the Bible says, first and foremost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Meaning that they received the apostles' teaching without a personal agenda. That is, when they heard the apostles teach, they received the teaching not as the opinions of preachers, but as the word of the living God. And that means that when they heard a word that was not in keeping with their theological agenda, instead of judging the preacher, they went home and they prayed and they said, God, shift my mind and shift my heart and shift my agenda so that I can receive this word. Something that's completely missing in contemporary Christianity. We don't devote ourselves to any teaching. We listen to the opinions of the preacher and we judge them next to our opinions. And then we go out and listen to five other preachers and we find the preacher that agrees with our opinion and then we agree with that. And to the degree we agree with the opinion of the preacher, to that degree we are committed to that preacher. But actually what they did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, they made a decision that everything that comes out of the mouths of the apostles is our inheritance and we're going to possess every bit of our inheritance. That's what it means to be spiritual sons and daughters. It means to make a decision, I'm not going to miss my inheritance, but I'm going to possess every bit of it. There's a member of our church right now who came to me recently and he said, Pastor, I got saved and came to Living Hope in 2005. And since then, I've only missed three services, but I've listened to every single sermon you preach since then. He says, if I missed a service, I went home and immediately downloaded the podcast. He said, because that's my inheritance and I'm not going to miss any of my inheritance. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get every word of it. He said, but then I realized something. I I wasn't here in 2004, but that's my inheritance too. He said, so recently I went and got all of the messages from 2004, and I'm halfway through the year now listening to all of them. He says, I want to get everything that you have spoken to this church. It's my inheritance. Because I'm a member of this church, everything you've spoken here belongs to me. It's my inheritance. I'm not going to miss any of it. And then he said, but pastor, you know what I discovered? You've changed since 2004. He said, you've grown since 2004. He said, in 2004, you didn't know nothing about sonship. You were preaching all servanthood. You are servants. And now you're preaching, you are sons. He said, but you know what I realized? Even that is part of my inheritance. That growth. Now I get to grow with you. I get to develop with you. It's part of my inheritance. I get to see how far we've come. And so I'm going to possess every word of my inheritance. Now, whenever we start talking like this, it almost sounds like fanaticism, like I'm telling you, you need to be a fanatic about everything I say. You've got to be a fanatic. To be at church every Sunday, that's being a fanatic. To come every Thursday and every Sunday, that's being a fanatic. To download the message when you miss it, that's being a fanatic. It just sounds cultish, doesn't it? But it was far more severe in the first century. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't come to church twice a week. They came every day. It says they met daily in the temple courts. Every single morning they met in the temple courts. They met daily. These people were fanatics. I mean, if if you're a fanatic for going twice a week, they're super fanatics. 
Six days a week, they gathered in the temple courts for the teaching of the apostles. And people were saying, I'm not going to miss it. I'm devoted to the apostles' teaching. I'm not missing a day of it. I'm not, there's, there's not going to be a time when the apostles open their mouths to teach that I'm not going to be there to possess my inheritance. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And actually, that is the true meaning of discipleship. That's all it's talking about, is being disciples. In the first century world, disciples joined themselves to rabbis, rabbis committed committed themselves to disciples. And what did the disciple do? The disciple followed the rabbi 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the whole goal was, I am going to possess the teaching of this rabbi. And it would take 15 years for a rabbi to fully give the teaching to his disciples. And the disciple was committed to the rabbi to receive it for 15 years. And the rabbi was committed. I'm going to teach you for 15 years. At which point the disciple would become a teacher, not even a rabbi yet, a teacher kind of like a junior rabbi, an assistant rabbi. Now you can begin teaching. You can't even gather disciples yet because you're not actually a rabbi yet. You're simply helping instruct the younger disciples under your rabbi. And after about 15 years of gaining reputation as a teacher, then you could become a rabbi. You did not have a disciple unless you first had a rabbi. So all the people in the early church were doing was living out this first century model of rabbinic discipleship, but in a Christian setting now. They saw the apostles as their rabbis, they saw themselves as their disciples, and they devoted themselves to the teaching. That was the foundation. But then secondly, the scripture says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. A couple of verses down, it says, they met daily in the temple courts and house to house. Daily in the temple courts, manifested their devotion to the teaching of the apostles. But then house to house manifested their devotion to the fellowship. It meant I'm not simply going to get the teaching and keep it for myself, but we're going to gather from house to house and we're going to have some fellowship. Now we got to talk about that word fellowship for a moment because it's been tremendously misunderstood in the body of Christ. And I know I've been harping on this for about nine years now, but I'll harp just a little bit more this morning. The word in the Greek is koinonia. Look at your neighbor and say koinonia. Koinonia. Now, typically in contemporary Christianity, when somebody uses the word fellowship, you know that chips and salsa are involved. Say, gather for the service, and then we're going to have fellowship in the fellowship hall after the service. That means there's going to be some punch and cookies, chips and salsa, some cake, you know. Or if somebody feels, you know, a lot lot of churches even have a whole meal after church every Sunday. Now that's real fellowship. Fried chicken, biscuits. You know what I love? That's that's the fellowship between the African American church and the Korean church. You go to a Korean church, they have full on Korean barbecue after every single service. I served at a Korean church when I was a college student, and I loved it because after church we we ate, and it was real food too. It wasn't like no chips and salsa. It was rice and kimchi and some. Pugogi and some teji and some mm, some dang jung. Ah, hallelujah. Preach, Bishop. But in the Church of God in Christ, there was fried chicken and biscuits and collard greens with ham hocks. That's a good word. And an assortment of beverages. There was red. <laughs> Orange and purple. 
with diabetes. <laughs> or we would all go to Piper's, to the smorgasbord. Y'all don't know nothing about no smorgasbord. Somebody said buffet. It ain't no buffet. I don't, I don't even know what a buffet is. No, I do know what a buffet is. Paul said, I buffet the flesh. No, I buffet the flesh. <laughs> the point I'm talking about is we've made food the center of fellowship, and that's not what fellowship is. Most of the time when believers get together, no real fellowship is actually happening. Food is happening, no real fellowship. Even if there's a deep emotional connection, that's not what fellowship is. That's soul. That's the soul. The thing you need to understand is that the glory of God is not empathically communicated. You know what empathy is, right? It's when you take in someone else's feelings as if they're your own. You know, if you sit down with somebody who's deeply in pain and they're hurting, you look into their eyes, you can take their pain into yourself. And if they're crying, you can start crying too. You know why? Because you empathized with them. That is, you might not even be feeling what they're feeling. You, might not, you haven't even gone through what they've went through. You didn't get hurt where they got hurt. You're simply empathizing with them, taking their pain inside yourself, and now suddenly you're weeping with them. And there's a degree of connection there. There's emotional connection. But the glory of God is not empathically communicated. Do you know that when you see someone who is under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you can't just look into their eyes and have the anointing come on you too. Because what they're feeling is deeper than an emotion. They have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you're going to fellowship with that person, you've got to first have that same fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship between two believers happens when those two believers first meet with God and then meet with each other and share with each other what they've received from God. Amen. It's not about emotions. Emotions can be involved, but emotional content is not the primary content of fellowship. It's not just when we share our hearts. A lot of times we get together and say, this is what I'm struggling with, and this is where I'm hurting, and this is what happened to me, and this is what's going on in my life. That's good, but that's not yet fellowship. That's not yet the fellowship of the spirit. That's the connection of the soul. And so when it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, it comes after their devotion to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because the apostles' teaching brings us into fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've seen, which we've, our ears have heard, and our hands have handled. These things we declare unto you so that you might have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, I'm giving you these things so that we can fellowship. But first, I've got to bring you into fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I've got to bring you into fellowship with that which was from the beginning, which our ears have seen, well, our ears have heard, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled. If I can bring you into fellowship with that life which was with the Father from the beginning and was made manifest to us, now you can have fellowship with one another. Now when you come together, you can bring out of the storehouse the things that God has deposited in you. Now when you come together, you can begin to declare the content of the life that was communicated to you in the presence of God. Now you can begin to declare, this is what I've received from God. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 10, that which we received from God, 
we also declare unto you. That which we receive from God, we also declare unto you. I can only declare unto you what I've received from God. And if I haven't received anything from God, I've got nothing to declare to you. And so what would they do? They would gather in the morning in the temple courts. Not forsaking the gathering when they gather together to worship. It's funny. We use that verse to try to get people to come to church on Sunday. But actually when the author of Hebrews wrote it, he was trying to get people to come to church every day. (laughs) Not forsaking the gathering when we gather together to worship. As many are in the habit of doing. They would gather in the morning and they would receive the teaching. They would follow the pattern of Proverbs chapter 2. My son of you would receive my words and hide my commands within you. Inclining your ear to wisdom. Listening at a higher level. That's how they would receive. They would receive the word as sons. Inclining their ears to wisdom and applying their heart to understanding. And then it says, then if you would cry out after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding. That is, now you go home and get in your prayer closet and say, God, give me revelation of the things that I heard today, of the things that I've received today. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you went home after a service and got on your knees before the Lord and said, now God, give me revelation of what I heard today? Because some stuff didn't hit me in the right place and I didn't understand some things and I had trouble receiving some things. So would you please give me revelation and understanding and insight into the things that I've heard today? Would you please remove... Listen, do you ever hear things in the service and there's barriers in your heart? Do you ever go home and pray through those barriers? You ever go home and pray through it? Pray it through and say, God, remove the barrier in my heart that keeps me from receiving this and give it to me as revelation as if I received it directly from you. As if I didn't even hear it. Would you give it to me? It says, if you cry out after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek them as silver and search for them as for hid treasures, then you will know the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now you're ready for fellowship. Now you're ready for fellowship because the things that you've heard, you received it, not as the word of man, but as the word of the living God. You've received the teaching as your inheritance. Now you're ready for fellowship. So it says they gathered together daily in the temple courts and then from house to house. Translation, they went to Sunday service and Thursday thunder, but then they were also committed to gathering with their lay pastoral communities. Oh, I didn't get no amens there. They were committed not only to the church as a whole, but they were committed to their local community of believers. They not only committed themselves to the large group, but to the small group. Why? Because in the large group, I received the teaching, but in the small group, I received the fellowship. I enter into connection, community, and covenant with the other members of the body of Christ. And it is the fellowship of the Spirit when it flows out of the teaching that we've received. So Paul says to Timothy, he says, The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to trustworthy men who will also be qualified to teach them to others. Paul says to Timothy, I've given you the teaching. I've entrusted it to you. I've given it to you. I've, I've, I've labored in teaching and you've received it. Now give it away. Give it to trustworthy men who will also be qualified to give it to others. You know what? As he is commanding Timothy to give the teaching, teaching away what Timothy is doing is building the fellowship because the fellowship is being built as the teaching goes forth and begins to bear fruit. Suddenly the sound of the inheritance begins to be heard in your voices. It begins to be seen in your face. Suddenly the sound that you're possessing the word of God is your inheritance. You see, 
And so we got to build the fellowship, but it's the fellowship of the spirit, not of the soul. The fellowship of the spirit, not of the soul. And this is very important for us to understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul makes this statement. He says, the soulish man, the NIV says, the man without the spirit. The New King James Version says, the natural man. The word in the Greek is psukikos. Psukikos, say that. Psukikos. Psukikos. There's a P on the front of it. It comes from the Greek term psukes. Say psukes. P-S-Y-C-H-E-S. P-S-Y-C-H-E-S. Does that sound familiar to you? It's where we get the word psyche from. Psyche, psychic, psychology. All of this comes from psukes, which means soul. Psychology is the study of the soul. The soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And those are the three primary applications or realms of discovery in the world of psychology. There are certain psychologists that deal primarily with the emotions. Other cognitive psychology, psychologists deal primarily with the mind. All of them are aimed at somehow shifting the will or empowering the individual to change the will. The mind, the will, and the emotions. And Paul says, the soulish man does not receive the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. In other words, he's saying the man who is locked into his own mind, will, and emotions cannot receive things that come from the Spirit of God that transcend his mind, will, and emotions. It's foolishness to him. You ever That means that if you are locked into your soul, when you hear the Word of God come, if it's coming from the Spirit, it'll sound like gibberish to you. You ever sat there and thought, man, that's ridiculous. I can't receive that. If you're saying I can't receive that, there's two possibilities. Number one, you're in the Spirit, and what's coming to you is from the flesh. And that's a real possibility. I've been in places where what was preached was not coming from the Spirit. And my spirit rejected it. That's not God. But the other possibility is that you're in the soul and what's coming at you is from the spirit. And you're just a big soul shield. The word is coming right to your spirit, but your soul goes, nope, not getting in here. Big force field. Word of God ain't getting in here. And how can you tell? How can you discern the difference? Let me tell you how. If there is some form of pain or fear that is at the root of your inability to receive it, you're in the soul. Because pain and fear reside in the soul. If you say, I can't receive that because it's too painful for me, that's soulish. My soul is in such agony that it just... Holds the word of God out. You're not getting in here. Just big soul shield. I'm too hurt to receive that. I'm afraid that if I receive that, it's going to damage me. Why? Because I was damaged someplace. I was at a place where they taught that, but they, they manifested it wrongly. They manifested it in a way that was abusive. And so I'm afraid that if I receive that, I'll be abused again. I don't like, don't talk about submission. The last church I was at that talked about submission abused me. Big soul shield. Word of God can't in. Can't get in. Can't touch the spirit. Why? Because I'm locked into my own soul. And now when I meet with people, I'm simply fellowshipping out of the soul. 
I'm divulging all of my hurts and all of my pains. And I'm divulging everything that's wrong. And that's fine as long as I'm saying pray for me so that I can be healed. Sometimes the soul has to be healed before the spirit can open up and receive the word of God. But Paul says the soulish man does not receive the things that come from the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. It sounds utterly ridiculous to the soulish man. It's like opening up a program that was created for a PC on a Mac. It doesn't speak Mac. You open it up, it just looks like gibberish. What is this? This is foolishness. It's because the soul is all up in the way. Big soul shield. Don't bring that up in here. I'm feeling too much pain here. I'm too afraid. But Paul says, he who is spiritual. There's that word, spiritual. Pneumaticos. Say that. Pneumaticos. Pneumaticos. There's the psychikos and the pneumaticos. The soulish and the spiritual. He who is spiritual makes judgments about all things, he says. Isn't it interesting that Paul says he was spiritual makes judgments about all things in 1 Corinthians 2.15 when Jesus said, do not judge. Paul said in Romans 3, you're inexcusable if you judge. Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. For with the measure you use, it'll be reaped back to you. So judging seems to be a negative thing, but yet Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 2.15, he who is spiritual judges all things. He makes judgments about everything. (laughs) No, I'm just spiritual. (laughs) You are so judgmental. No, no, bro, I'm just spiritual. Well, the word judge, the word krino in the Greek has two applications, a negative and a positive. When we're commanded not to judge, it's speaking of the negative application, to judge in the sense of condemning. Jesus says, don't condemn. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is when you forever lock someone into something they did a long time ago. I mean, if 10 years later, you're still thinking of that person according to what they did 10 years ago. And you're still, that person's a liar. Why? Because they told a lie 10 years ago. Or maybe they were a liar 10 years ago. But you still think they're a liar and you haven't spoken to them in 10 years. You will never allow them out of that prison of your judgment. That's condemnation. You will never even entertain the possibility that God has worked in their life and brought them past that. That's condemnation. And Jesus says, don't do it. Because if you judge, you're going to be judged in the same manner. That is, if you lock people in a prison of their past, you're going to be locked in a prison of your past. You remember the parable that Jesus told of the man who owed 100,000 ta- or 100 talents, which is like 100 years wages to the master? And the master said, pay now or else you're going to prison. And he pleaded, please, release, you know, just give me time and I'll pay you all. And the master had compassion and forgave his whole debt. But then he went to a servant who owed him, owed him one denarius, which was one day's, it was like a few cents, 20 bucks or something like that, you know? And he grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me right now. And he said, give me time and I'll pay you all. He threw him in prison. When the master heard what he did, he called him in and he said, I forgave you this whole debt, but you couldn't forgive him those few dollars. It says he handed him over to the torturers. Hear that language. He handed him over to the torturers. Do you know that some people in the body of Christ are in torment because they've been handed over to the tormentors simply because they refuse to forgive? 
and it's self-inflicted, you'll get set free the moment you make a decision, I'm going to forgive and release this thing that I've held for all of this time and all of these years. So when the Bible commands us, don't judge, it means don't condemn. But the, the, the alternative usage of the word crino, to judge, simply means to make decisions. To discern between right and wrong, black and white, left and right. It's simply making an observation. He's black. My God. That's not a judgment. That's not a condemnation. It's just an observation. You're black. She's Korean. Right? Well, don't judge. How judgmental. That's deep. That's deep. Somebody says, somebody tells you about your lifestyle, it's a brother in the church, you're in sin. No, you can't judge. No, that's an observation. You told me that with your own mouth. That's good, Bishop. Well, who are you to judge? I'm not judging anything. I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying you're going to be there forever, but I'm saying you're there right now when you need to come out of that. Man, that's good. Preach it. But it takes a spiritual person to make that kind of judgment. Wow. Not a carnal person. And so Paul takes it to the next level in Galatians chapter 6. He says, if any one of you is caught in a trespass, if anybody's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, who are able to make judgments about all things, restore him with the spirit of gentleness. In other words, don't just judge. Don't just make the observation, you're in sin. Good luck with that. But the spiritual first are able to discern, but they're also able to restore. Restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. You know what goes out the window when you step out of the spirit and into the flesh? Gentleness. There was a couple, not in this church, but a couple I was ministering to in another church. And I ministered to that couple for about a year and a half with great tenderness, with great gentleness, and yet great firmness. And they still didn't get better. And after about a year and a half, one day they came into my office and they reported something that the husband had done. And I lost all of my gentleness and all of my tenderness and all of my patience. And I raked that man up one side of the office and down the other. I mean, I let him have it. I gave him both barrels. (laughs) I pulled out my Uzi. I had to call him back and apologize. And he still left the church, but I had, to, <laughs> I had to try to make it right. He still left the church. That was it for them. You know what I realized? You know why I was so frustrated? It had nothing to do with what they were struggling with at the time. It had to do with the fact that I felt like a failure. Because for a year and a half, I tried so hard to help them, but nothing I tried worked. And so I lost my ability to feel like a failure. I was sick and tired of feeling like a failure every time they left my office. Sick and tired of it. And that's how I knew I wasn't in the spirit. Because the spirit is never sick and tired and he never feels like a failure. The Holy Spirit doesn't get frustrated. You know why? Because he never feels like something he did didn't work. Frustration comes when you feel like what you're doing doesn't work. It's not working. Holy Spirit never feels that. You will never find the Holy Spirit discouraged over in a corner. Jesus comes up, what's wrong, Holy Spirit? I'm just tired. 
I just can't handle this anymore. You know how long I've been working on these people? They won't hear anything I say. I give them all kind of grace. My God, my God. I'm about to start drinking pretty soon. You never find the Holy Spirit doing that. Holy Spirit says, oh, it's working. But, but I don't see any fruit in there. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm way more powerful than that. Sometimes I'm working under the soil. And you don't see the fruit yet. Sometimes you see nothing but a dead vine. But I'm under the soil and I'm working on those roots. And I'm, I'm bringing life where you see nothing but death. The Holy Spirit never feels frustrated. And when you and I are walking in the Spirit, we never feel frustrated either. Yes, we feel frustrated, but it's a part of the life of the flesh, not the spirit. Or it's a part of the soul. I'm in the soul. My mind, will, and emotions. I'm feeling frustrated because what I'm doing isn't working. But the minute I step in the spirit, I come back into the knowledge of, oh, it's working. It's work. God is doing it. It's bigger than what I see. It's more than what I imagine. It's more than what I understand. Sometimes I feel like I've been screwed. But the Holy Spirit never feels like he's been screwed. I've been betrayed. The Holy Spirit never feels like he's been betrayed. And matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is self-sufficient. So he feels like you can betray me if you want. It's your loss, not mine. But you know what? I'm still going to go after you. And I'm still going to reach for you with my heart and with my soul. I'm not going to give up on you. Even if you are trying to leave me, I'm not going to leave you. Because he said, I'll send you the spirit of truth and he'll abide with you forever. You who are spiritual, restore them gently. And you're able to restore them gently because you're not bringing your own pain into it. (laughs) You know, my wife and I have done a lot of marital counseling over the years. And one of the things that I became acutely aware of at times when I've done marital counseling is that sometimes uh, the the pain I feel in my own marriage, uh, there's a temptation to play it out Uh when I'm counseling another couple. And so I might feel irritated with the wife over something. Like with a couple sharing something with me, I might feel a little irritation towards the wife. And then I stop and say, oh, wait a minute. That's not even theirs. Let me go home and get right with my wife. <laughs> Let me go home because I shouldn't feel that. Why am I irritated? Because they're struggling. And so I got to step back into the spirit. I realized my souls. I had a soul flare. Just had a soulish episode. Soul just spasm for a second there. Little soul spasm. Oh. oh, I'm back in the spirit. So Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore. Do you know that we need to learn to practice the ministry of restoration? Do you know that Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he has reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and given us the ministry of reconciliation? Listen, we talk about what is my ministry. You know what your first ministry is? The ministry of reconciliation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting sins, their sins against them. But he has given us this ministry of reconciliation as if God were making his appeal through us. When we, when, listen, my vision is that the whole church would step into that ministry of reconciliation and step into that ministry of restoration, that we would come to the house of God and you look around the room. I'm talking about a church that's so spiritually mature that the average member of the church could look around the room and see a brother or sister who's disconnected and give them a call on the phone and say, hey, I was at church this morning and you seem disconnected. What's going on? Let's meet together and have some coffee. Share with me what's going on in your life and I'm going to pray for you. 
We need spiritual people in the church. Spiritual people in the church aren't necessarily those who can quote scriptures. There's some very carnal scripture quoters. The devil can quote a lot of scripture. He can quote more scripture than you can. Spiritual maturity is not knowing the words to all the songs. It's not knowing how to dance during worship. There's some real carnal dancers. I mean, worship's going on, and not in this church, but they're there. They're out there. They're out there. All of those things are wonderful, but that's not the content of spiritual maturity. There's the core content of spiritual maturity is one thing. There's only one thing that makes you spiritually mature or immature: the Holy Spirit. It means if you're walking in the Spirit, you're mature. The Holy Spirit lends you His maturity. He's pretty mature. He's been around a long time. He's pretty experienced. It's not about you maturing. It's simply about you stepping out of your flesh and out of your soul and into the Holy Spirit. And suddenly you begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. These are the fruit of simply not being in Christ for a long time. There are folks that have been in Christ 30, 40 years and are still babies, infants. Can't handle any meat. Need nothing but milk. Paul said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I can't speak to you as mature, but as immature. Infants in Christ. I wanted to give you meat, but I had to give you milk. Why? Because you're still carnal. And then he gives the mark of their carnality, and the mark of their carnality was not biblical illiteracy or ignorance. Where there's still divisions among you, are you not carnal? When one of you says, I'm of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, and another, I am of Christ, did Paul die for your sins? Are you not carnal? Are you not still in the flesh? The mark of spiritual maturity, number one, is being in the Spirit, and the way it manifests is in unity. That is, the fellowship of the Spirit. You cannot walk in the Spirit and be disconnected from your brothers and sisters at the same time. You cannot walk in the Spirit and have a, a, a grocery store mentality about the church. But the first result of walking in the Spirit is the fellowship of the Spirit. i got to find somebody to give this to because when I'm full of the Spirit and you're full of the Spirit, my Spirit is going to recognize your Spirit even if I don't recognize your face. Even if I've never met you before, the fellowship of the Spirit is so powerful that my Spirit will recognize your Spirit and what God has done in you will speak to what God has done in me and what God has done in me will speak to what God has done in you and we can have us some fellowship. And that is what we call the fellowship of the burning heart. The fellowship of the burning heart, the thing we need to realize is that the fellowship of the burning heart happened there in Luke 26 with these two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus because they were on a seven-mile walk together. If you don't walk with nobody, Jesus can't join you on the road. When was the last time you went on a seven-mile walk with somebody? Somebody said, no, no, that's unbiblical. Jesus said, if your neighbor asks you to go one mile with him, go two. That's as far as I got to go. <laughs> he didn't say nothing about going seven. You know what it was? These were two disciples who were doing life together. And as they were walking the road, they were sharing. 
And suddenly Jesus comes and joins them. Jesus will join in with your fellowship. But you got to commit to the fellowship. You got to make a decision that I'm going to take what I've received and give it to somebody. Let me tell you something. You don't possess it until you can give it. Until you can give it. Listen, your inheritance is not what you hear. It's what you speak. When the inheritance comes out of your mouth and you can give it to somebody, now you've received it. You know there's a pastor in China who's got 20 members in his congregation, but he requires every one of those 20 members to share the sermon that he preaches on Sunday with at least 35 other people before they return. He asks them at the door, did you share this last week's sermon with 35 other people? And if they didn't, he says, you can't come in today. Go out and come back when you've shared it with 35 people. What is 35 times 20? 700 people hear his message every week. But only if he preaches to 20 people, but 700 hear the message. Why? Because all 20 of them possess it as their inheritance and they take it as their commission to go out and give it away. When was the last time you heard a message and had that mentality? I've got to give this away. That'll change the way you listen, doesn't it? I better take some notes. What am I looking at my phone in the middle of my message? That iPhone demon got me. And so God wants to build the fellowship. The fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. It's my dream. It's my cry. My wife and I, it's our dream and our cry to see the fellowship of the Spirit built here at Living Hope Christian Center, to see a gathering of people who are just as committed to their lay pastoral communities as they are committed to coming to the Sunday morning service. Just as committed, not just to receiving the teaching, but giving it away, sharing it with one another, helping one another grow in it, helping one another develop in it, helping one another understanding, giving and going home and praying through it and asking God, give me revelation, give me insight, help me to possess it as my inheritance, establish me in it, teach me to live it. And sharing it with one another. You know, when that fellowship is built, when that fellowship is built, now we're strong. Now we're strong. Now the devil can't take us out. Now the devil can't get up in between us. Now the devil has no power to cause division among us. You know why? Because we're devoted to one another. See, the devil can divide me from you if I'm committed to you. All he has to do is shift your agenda or shift mine or cause you to fail to meet mine or cause me to fail to meet yours. But when we're devoted to one another, the devil can't get up in there. Devotion says, yeah, you hurt my feelings, but I'm devoted to you, so I ain't going nowhere. Yeah, I was disappointed, but I'm devoted to you, so I ain't going nowhere. You know what it does? It establishes peace and security in our relationships with one another. I'm devoted to you. I will not leave your side. I'm not going anywhere. You know, my wife and I had kind of a difficult conversation with Pastor Daniels last Friday, and uh, he rebuked the mess out of me. Ooh, it was hard. He had never spoken to me that way before. I was sitting there thinking... I thought you loved me. He said, Benjamin, this is your fault. My wife said, Benjamin, do you want to share your side? He said, I don't need to hear Benjamin's side. He said, I'm not even going to give you a chance to speak because it doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to tell you the same thing afterwards. This is your fault. (laughs) Woo! I even cried a little bit. But I I got something to say too. (laughs) No. But at the end of it, you know what he said to my wife? 
He said, you got to take your place. She said, but what if he doesn't want me to? He said, I don't care if he wants you to or not. That's your place. You take it. And you know what happened? Immediately after that meeting, there was just this something that rose up in my wife. And it was like she came and stood next to me in a way that she just felt empowered. And it was like she wasn't asking my permission. <laughs> she just took that place. You know what? It was so refreshing to me. It was so refreshing. And I was able to look back on that rebuke and say, this is what he was trying to do. This is what he was trying to give me. No, I had to shift my heart around that. I had, to, I had to wrestle my heart down. I had to just sit there and shut up. I'm not saying nothing. And afterwards, at the end of it, he said, now, do you want to say anything? I said, mm-mm. 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 I got it. Mm. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know what the fellowship is? It's when every one of us take our place. Every one of us take our place. We step into our place. Because you know what? If you're not taking your place in my life, you're leaving space between you and me, and the devil can step in and fill that space. If I don't take the place in your life that God's called me to take, I leave room for the devil to step in and fill it. Whatever space I'm supposed to fill that I refuse to fill, the devil will step in and very gladly fill it. But if you and I fill up the space that we're supposed to fill up, we stand in the place that we're supposed to stand. When if I come stand next to you and say, I don't care if you don't like it, I'm going to take my place in your life. And if you come stand next to me and say, I don't care if you don't like it, I'm going to stay in my place in your life. And you know what? We can have tension and we can have friction, but I'm not leaving my place. Yes. Now we've built the fellowship. Yes. Now we've built the fellowship. Yes. Now we're strong. Yes. Now we're strong. Now we're going to grow together. Now we're going to grow together. Now we're going somewhere. Now we're a church on the move. Now the body's going to expand. Now great grace is going to be on all of us. Now we're able to meet each other's needs in a way that we never were before. Because we got more than chips and salsa. We got more than good music and decent preaching. We got the fellowship. And we're devoted to the fellowship. I'm urging you this morning, devote yourself to the fellowship. Make a decision, devote yourself to the fellowship. Make a decision, I'm not going to be an isolated Teflon Christian. I'm not going to be a a member of this congregation that is devoted to no one and nothing and disconnected from everything. And I'm not going to make excuses for my absence. I'm not going to make excuses. I am devoted. I'm going to be there, whatever I got to do to get there. I'm going to get myself there. Even if I have to Skype myself in, you're going to see my face on somebody's computer. Skype me in there. I want to be in this meeting. My lay pastoral community is going to have me there. I'm going to be with them. My lay pastor is not going to call me and I not respond. (laughs) I haven't heard of Kevin Carrington Mercy in a long time. I need one. People have asked me, who is that man that says mercy at your church? People in other countries have asked me. Every time I listen to this, I hear somebody say mercy. Who is that man? (laughs) Take your place. Take your place. And I'm not talking about take your place on some platform or in some ministry or in some expression. I'm talking about take your place in the fellowship. Let's bow our heads this morning. Mm. Father, I speak your blessing over this house in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I thank you for clarity. 
Thank you for wisdom and revelation. Thank you that you're talking to us today. And we hear you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and bring fellowship. When Paul calls it the fellowship of the Spirit, he means that without the Spirit, we have no fellowship. Lord, we're not here to build the fellowship of the soul. We're here to build the fellowship of the Spirit. We're not here to build the fellowship of the flesh, and that happens too sometimes. We can get together and just be in the flesh together and laugh it out. That's fine. What we're after is the fellowship of the Spirit. The fellowship of the Spirit flows through our devotion. So we devote ourselves to the teaching, but then we devote ourselves to the fellowship. And God, I pray for devotion to the fellowship to fall on this body. Let it fall on this body. Let it fall on this house, God. Remove every hindrance to it, God. Remove every stumbling block, oh God. Remove everything that hinders the fellowship. Remove that sense of disconnection, God. Remove it. Remove it. Remove that consumer mentality, that individualistic mentality. Remove that idea that I just come to church to get a little word and a little worship, give a little offering, and go on my way. But that I am vitally connected to this body. It's my family. God, we've got to experience family in the house of God. Lord, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would make us a family, God. That you would make us a family, God. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would fill our hearts and that you would make us one, even as you are one. I pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. And I give you the glory for it. Father, let your spirit rest on each one right now. Let your spirit rest on every heart. Let your spirit rest on every mind. Let your Holy Spirit bring clarity, bring understanding, bring patient endurance. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Always protects. Always endures. Always perseveres. Love never fails. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away, but love never fails. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part and I prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will pass away. Love never fails. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. God, I pray that you would give us that unfailing love. Teach us to love the way you love. That is the central commandment. That is the great commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, have fervent love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart, having been born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible seed through the living and enduring word of God. Father, I pray, release that spirit that causes us to love. Release that spirit that causes us to love. Release that spirit that causes us to love. And and love is not disconnected, it's connected. Love is not an outsider, it's an insider. Love, love is not a consumer, it's a giver. Love is not selfish, it's selfless. Love. It's not tied to an agenda. 
Love has no agenda. Teach us to love the way you love. Teach us to love the way you love. I prayed in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Just begin to pray for a moment. Just begin to pray for a moment. This is another level for this house. This is another level for this ministry. This is another level for this body. God wants to take us to another level. He wants to teach us how to be in community. He wants to teach us how to be one. we got to learn how to do this thing, folks. Come on, get it right now. Father, I pray that you would do it among us. 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 Lord, for those who feel like they're outsiders, we call them into the inside right now. Those who feel like they've been isolated, we bring them in right now in Jesus' name. We break that power of isolation in Jesus' name. Lord, we break rejection off of those who feel rejected in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Come on, go after it, folks. Go after it, folks. Some folks feel isolated and rejected. We break it off of their lives. You are accepted. You are accepted. You are not rejected. You are not rejected. You are accepted. Lord, release acceptance over this house. Release it. Remove fear from our hearts. Remove fear from our minds. Remove fear from our souls. Teach us how to move that soul out of the way so that your word can go right to our spirit. I pray you would do it right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray you would do it. Hallelujah. I thank you for it. I thank you for it. I thank you. And God, release a wave of supernatural forgiveness over this house. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now just worship Him. God, we worship you. God, we worship you. God, we worship you. God, we worship and adore you. Come on, stand to your feet and open your mouth and just begin to worship God. To worship you, I live. To worship you. I live, I live to worship you. Come on, just lift your hand. Come on, just open up your mouth. To worship you, I live. Come on. To worship you, I live, I live to worship you. Come on, come on, come on. Really worship Him. Worship with all of your heart, all of your soul. Come on. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live to worship you. To worship you, Lord, to worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live to worship you. Hallelujah. We give you all the glory, Lord. We give you all the glory. You know, covenant relationship, being devoted to somebody. When I devote to my husband, I'm not saying to him, I'm going to be a perfect wife. I'm going to try, but I'm going to fail. But you know what? I'm not, I, I am never leaving this man. He could hurt me. He, he can fail, but you know what? I'm devoted. I will, I, I'm, we're forever. Even when we go to heaven. When we, when we devote to fellowship, I'm not asking you to be perfect with one another. And I'm not promising to be perfect. I will fail you. And we will fail one another. 
Devotion means, you know what, but I'm not going anywhere. Just like the Holy Spirit promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What we're saying is, I'm never leaving you, Chinway. I'm never leaving you, Maura. I'm never leaving you, Vivian. I'm never, I'm never going to leave you, Del. I will never leave you. I'm here. I'm here for life. Devotion. Devoted to fellowship. I know it's getting late, but can we do this as a spiritual sign? If you are able, physically, will you just come? Every, not just you who feels like, yeah, I, I want to run back. All of us. Can you just come? Can you just come to the front and as a sign? You know what? To one another. Maybe I don't know the person standing next to me, but you know what? You're still my brother and my sister. I'm devoted. I'm not going to leave you. And I'm going to do my best to be there. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do my best, Daniel. I'm, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna leave you. You hear me? Mm. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we stand together with one another, God, shoulder to shoulder. God, we're not perfect. There's some areas I wish I could be better at. I'm sorry, I can't return phone calls well. I'm sorry that I don't check my voice messages and I don't return. You know what? There are areas I am very weak at. Some of you tried to call me but probably didn't return your call for like three months. That's my weakness. But you know what? But you know what? I'm not going to leave this man. I'm not going to leave you. I'm here. I'm here. Can you make that devotion to one another? To one another. Father, right now as we stand together, Father, by faith, with our hearts, we devote to fellowship. We devote to you first, God, to your words, and we devote to fellowship, joint ownership. Father, we will never leave. We will never allow the enemy, God, to take our space. We will stand in our place. Even if there's tension, we will not leave. Even if there's disappointment, God, we will not leave. Even if, God, there's failure, we will not leave our place, God. We will take our place in fellowship, Lord. And we devote, we renew, we renew our devotion to fellowship with one another today. So Holy Spirit, hmm yeah, Holy Spirit, <laughs> Holy Spirit, make us one and take us, take us supernaturally in our place, in our fellowship. Mm. And ground us, root us, God. And we thank you. We thank you for today. Whatever we're feeling, God, it's epic. What's happening today, the word that you gave us, and the devotion, God, that we are giving to one another, it's epic. We're going to another place. We're going to another stage. So, Father, we thank you. We believe it by faith. We're not going to have that kind of unbelievable, let's see. No. We, we, each one of us, we're going to take our place. We're going to devote 
to fellowship. Mm. And I know, God, as you look down upon us right now in this sanctuary, you're so pleased. God, you are so pleased that your sons and daughters are devoting in our hearts to one another. Brother, sister, I'm not going to leave you. I'll always be here for you. Father, I thank you that you are well pleased this morning. Mm. And we devote to this, Lord. Father, I just speak a covering over each and every one today in the name of Jesus. I cover you with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the power of God, with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, with deep understanding, with great love, with great joy, with great peace. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Desi, the word of the Lord to you is that God has set you apart in your generation and that you are a pillar, a cornerstone of revival in your generation. That what God is doing in you is not just for you. But I just see a wave of revival breaking out through your life. Even you're going to see some of your friends get saved. But not only that, you're, you're an example of what God wants to do in an entire generation. And what he's done is he's brought renewal to your heart and he's lifted you up and put you on a pedestal. People see you that you don't know see you. They see your freedom in Christ. When you're not even aware of it, you don't need to be aware of it. You don't need to know. You just need to keep being who you are and doing what God has put in you. So I just speak blessing over your life today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on. Everybody, just give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah.